Well, we want to continue with Ready Responders. Uh, uh, this has been uh, so in such an encouraging time and an informative time. It's been a very powerful uh, series of uh, lessons we've been going through, especially since the Lord each week kind of takes it in a direction that we weren't necessarily expecting. <laughs> um, but it was very necessary. Um, the, the first time we... Uh, we were going through the coaching foundations, and we ended up talking about realizing your why, and uh, and really uh, we kind of wrestled with, and and really uh, I won't say wrestled with, but really grabbed a hold of this understanding that we were created. Each one of us is a response to someone's cry for help, mm -hmm. and that is that, that's a powerful revelation yes, to understand. Is. Not to put us in arrogance and boasting because I'm nothing without the Lord. <laughs> but he does have very intentional purpose for each and every one of us. Yes. And, um, and so realizing your why is very important for being a ready responder so that we aren't backing off of the opportunities that the Lord gives us when he places us in someone's life that we're not second-guessing ourselves, uh, holding back, drawing back. Mm -hmm. I mean, no, God, you set me here. And even if this person does not recognize it, that's the other thing about it. It's got nothing to do with whether the other person or the people even recognize that you are God's answer. Whether right. they even realize it, recognize it, acknowledge it, or any of it. That's not even necessary. And I think that's important for us to realize as responders, too, uh, so that we don't go into situations or into lives of others, starting with our own family, mm -hmm. uh, thinking that they're really going to appreciate this <laughs> <laughs> and waiting for them to acknowledge the right. great and wonderful thing that God has brought into their midst. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And we see that with Jesus himself when he came into the world as a little baby. Uh, there was not vanguards of, of, uh, of celebrations and everything going on when he arrived. He arrived uh, totally in private, nobody knowing anything about it. And when it was announced to the world, he announced it to some shepherds, to some teenagers. The lowliest. When the lowly, yeah. So... He didn't announce it to the great halls of anybody. And those who were actually searching and waiting for it because of prophecies that had been made, one of them was Herod. And he didn't want to know about it so that he could celebrate it. He wanted to know about it so that he could destroy it. Yeah. <laughs> and then those who were just kind of inquisitive about it, we called them the wise men, but they really were uh, astrologers and astronomers. Yeah. They kind of mixed the two, astrology and astronomy. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, being able to judge and read certain signs in the heavens and everything. And so their quest was more just kind of out of being inquisitive uh, about this thing. They had no idea what the ramifications of it were. Um, and so the reason why I share all of that is because God does the same thing with us. He, he brings us in on the scene. Nobody knows hardly anything about it. They don't even know why we're there. You have those who are just inquisitive, <laughs> don't have a clue. Even when by the time Jesus was a grown man and he had those who were following him, all these crowds of people that were following him, and then he had 12 that he chose specifically to be apostles. And most of the time, even with them, they didn't have no idea 
who he was, what he was there for, even though he told them over and over and over again. Yeah, and, um, you know, he asked them, you know, who do men say that I am? They came up with all these answers. You're Elijah. You're, you know, who do you say that I am? <laughs> and so only one guy had enough nerve to speak up. Well, and then Peter, you know, <laughs> you're, you're the son of the living God. You know? But even then, he, he turned right around after making that statement. And, and <laughs> then he's rebuking Jesus because Jesus is talking about the purpose for which he really had to come. Um, and so it's, it's just really something uh, to realize that aspect of our walk with the Lord. I would say, and I shared this with you from out of our pastoral experience over the last, I can't believe I can say this, 30 years. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say one of my pastoral disappointments or ministry disappointments was the realization that most of the time people will not have an appreciation for why you are in their life. Yeah. They will not. They will not have an understanding of it. They won't have an appreciation of it. It's not that you're looking for pastoral appreciations and yeah. gifts and all of that. Even when people do those things, a lot of times, or I would say most of the time, they they still don't know uh, the real weight of why God brought you into their life. Right. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say that is because many, after they give the appreciation service and give the offerings and all of that, the moment that that man or woman of God is not there or, is disapp or disappoints them, they're done. Yes. Which means you didn't understand the reason why they're in your life. <laughs> because the first time they couldn't be there for you in the way that you had it in your head, the way they should be there for me, then you're done with them. And that means you didn't understand God's purpose for bringing them into your life. It wasn't for them to be a crutch. They weren't there to be your go-to person. They were there to teach you and train you how to do that for yourself, yeah. to walk with God, to hear, walk with God yes. yourself, hear from God yes. yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Learn how to persevere. Uh, they, that's why they were there. And so without that understanding, they drop. They drop. And so they drop you when you're not there the way it's in their head. But I share that because as ready responders, uh, those of you, you're already uh, served in leadership for a long time, you know this to be true, that most of the time people do not understand the purpose for which God brought you into their life. Yeah. And even when God uses you to perform miracles in their life, there still won't always be a thank you or an appreciation. And I'm sorry, I share that with you again, not because you're looking for the thank you, but but sometimes internally, we still want at least some type of like acknowledgement yeah. is, you know, like Jesus healed 10 lepers and only one right. came, back. came back. I mean, this is an really? incurable disease. Right. You couldn't go to anybody else on the planet and only one could come back and just say, thank you. <laughs> and that's that aspect of ministry really disappointed me, even though I've read these scriptures and all these stories. But when it actually happens to you, it's like, wow, this is really for real. Yeah. Um, this is human nature. This is human nature. Uh, a lot of times, uh, and, I, and I don't, I, maybe I shouldn't even just put it in the realm of just ministry, but even in our own homes, a lot of times our kids don't understand what we've really done for them until they have children. <laughs> they don't have no idea until they're in that same position. Uh, uh, so... Um, and but again, it's just one of those nuggets of wisdom for us for being ready responders that the 
assurance, the confidence, the encouragement has to come from knowing that God raised us up, shaped us, formed us, trained us, prepared us. You know, the first calling that we answer is to him. Uh, I'm learning now even more and more to not say I'm called into the ministry. I know, and I, I say it all the time, but, um, but, but I'm now kind of adjusting that because actually our calling is to the Lord. Yeah. The Bible says that God called, first called the apostles to him. And then it says, then he sent them. So he didn't call them into the ministry. He called them to him, and then he sends us to people. So what the call we're really are always answering is the call to him. So that even when he sends us, and then he, he even warned us he, when he sent out the 72. And, uh, you know, he told us exactly what it was going to be like when he sends us. Mm -hmm. Some places you're going to go, they ain't going to receive it. <laughs> They're not. And some places there you go, uh, just, he said, Eat whatever they give you, whatever they set out before you, and if a town rejects you, just go to the edge of that town, shake the dust off your feet, and keep it moving. And keep it moving. And it took me a long time to learn the keep it moving. <laughs> because we want them to get it. We want them to receive it. It's great news. It's healing, deliverance, everything you've been looking for. Here it is. And God sent me here to tell you and to impart it to you. But when they don't receive it, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And I would say uh, the other lesson that I learned uh, in, about in, in being sent out, and as I'm sharing it with you as ready responders, is uh, the fact that everybody won't receive it. Everybody won't understand it. Everybody won't receive it. And you have to be ready for both responses. You have to be ready for those who will receive as well as be ready for those who don't. And I have not, I'm not saying nobody's teaching on it, but I'm going to be more intentional in the future about preparing leaders for the what if they don't receive it part. <laughs> because if we're not ready for the what if they don't, then that's when we get into anger and bitterness and pride and you know, all unforgiveness with the people who God sent you to, who he told us, some of them ain't going to receive it. And that way we don't mess up our blessing that God has for us, our reward that he has for us, because we're mad at the ones who didn't receive it. When he told us, there'd be some people that ain't going to receive it. So I want to be more intentional about preparing us in both ways, because we're all prepared for the what if they, when, when they're going to receive it. And we're told to be humble. Don't take credit for yourself. Always give God the glory. But then... What if they don't receive a word you said? And what if they just straight up lie on you? They say you said stuff that that ain't what you said. <laughs> How do you receive it when they don't want you? No, on a personal level. Not just don't want the Lord. I don't want to hear it from you. If God has sent anybody else to give me this word, I would have received it. And that ain't the truth anyway. Yeah, they say that. But, I mean, but you feel it that personal. So how do we respond when there's absolute rejection of the word of God and through the vessel that he sends. And so I have to be, now we're learning, still give the same response. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. All glory goes to God. 
I will not hold this against you, no. even though right now. <laughs> you still don't know what you mean. You, yeah, Father, forgive them because yeah. they know you, not you what still, they do. You do you don't not know, know what, you are, what you are denying, what you are rejecting. You don't know. No, you don't. And you just see my face right. and you think it's me, but it's not me. No. And that face could be a male. They could be rejecting you because it's a man or because you're a woman, because you're black. Because you're white, they're just, the list can go on and on. Yeah. Because you ain't like you know, you ain't from this area. You are not. You don't you, meet their you expectation. You don't meet their expectation. Yeah, mm -hmm. lots of reasons can be in there. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then uh, last week we talked about uh, uh, being ready, and we looked at the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins, and uh, that I really thought that that was a great one. Uh, it was great. Good, really good conversation about what it really means to be prepared and to be ready. And I like, and the reason why I love going into these other, exploring these other ways of looking at scripture like that, even though Jesus was talking about being prepared uh, for the coming of the Lord, but, uh, uh, but to understand that the coming of the Lord or the coming of the kingdom of God, uh, the manifestation of God in certain ways in our lives, he wasn't only relegating that to the rapture. He's talking about the coming of the Lord in our lives in any situation yes. that we need to be prepared. There is always once in a lifetime moments that are coming and we need to be ready for them. Uh, so thank you, Lord. Now this week we're going to, what? <laughs> well, no, that was the week before. Then last week, what did we talk about? Uh, we did the damaged goods. We read damaged goods. Boy, was that enlightening <laughs> uh, to get into really understanding that the difference between the world's view that man is intrinsically good, yes. we're born good, they have this good nature and all of that. What one psychologist said that we are, uh, that man is, uh, nature is neutral. It's not bad. It's either neutral or positive. And, and, and uh, if we fail if we go along with that, we'll be in total disagreement with what the Bible says, that we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We looked at the definition of iniquity, which is lawlessness. It doesn't just mean to be against the law, but to actually to be a law unto yourself. Right. I do whatever seems and feels right to me. <laughs> That's iniquity. And, uh, and iniquity can lean towards certain uh, Habits, behaviors, responses that kind of run even multi-generationally in our families. Um, and we wanted to look at that before getting into what we call our soul care, cultural and core value differences. And we're going to now go through these 20 statements that will hopefully will lead to some conversation. And even, uh, if, you, even if the, these statements bring up questions for you. So on page four which is what we diverted from last week. We went to five instead of four. Now we're going to go to four as we talk about preparing for the cultural and core value differences. And you'll now understand why we kind of took the, took the road that we took before getting to this because the first, the first issue, number one, was ask yourself why you want to help or be involved in the life of someone who is in crisis. So, yeah, so that gets back to, the, to our realizing your why uh, and you really have to ask yourself why do I even want to do this why do I want to be in ministry why do I why am I saying yes to God um, this week in one of our meetings that we uh, were in 
uh, a particular church group said that they are bringing kids, teenagers, into the city to help serve uh, meals to the poor. Uh, to be waiters. To be waitresses. waiters and waitresses at this weekly meal. Um, and so uh, another person, a pastor there in the group, actually kind of challenged them in a loving way. He said, well, why are those kids coming? He said, is it so that they can feel good? about themselves that they came and served some full some food to these poor people in Harrisburg because if that's all that you're accomplishing that's 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 really not a good that that's really not a good reason for them to come that just so that they can feel good about Let themselves, themselves for coming so, to help these poor people. coming to help these poor people uh, that's kind of like as we all know some of the attitudes and and things that is that come off as being very condescending you may not mean it that way but that's how it comes off mm -hmm. uh, because the reason for doing it isn't a isn't a healthy good reason right from the start right. you always have to ask well why why are you doing this why do you feel so compelled to come into Harrisburg's inner city and to serve and to minister yeah and you have to ask yourself well, and sometimes I know Pastor Elder, I know you've asked yourself this one. Yeah. Why am I doing this? <laughs> Especially in times of trial. <laughs> Things are going tough. You have to ask yourself, why am I doing this again? Why am I really doing this? But we're, this is a necessary question to answer because uh, no superficial reason will keep us doing this. Right. That's right. Yes. It, nothing. Uh, the other question course is why would you have teenagers come in to minister to inner city people um, these are families these are adults um, as well as maybe some children that yeah. they have nothing in common with and don't have experience enough experience to be able to really in a mature way minister to these people yeah. would I, it's good to have them come in and serve, um, but you would need to have mature yeah. people sitting at these tables who would be able to actually be able to strike up a conversation, have a conversation, and, and dialogue with people. Yeah, yeah. and so, and we find that, the, and it's not to criticize this particular no. group, but but those are the types of things are the reason why we're doing this ready responder mm -hmm. training because the why? cycle has to break on people just coming into the city doing stuff. Right. That that won't work anymore. Right. Come in and serve food. Right. Come in and, and hand out stuff. That it doesn't work. Now the people will come and get it. Sure, they'll be come and eat. They'll come and but eat and we'll, walk right out the door. Right. They'll come and get all your stuff that you offering for free yes. and go home. Yes. <laughs> and we'll unchanged. see unchanged. Unchanged. And, and and so uh, the reason why we bring this up is because you have to ask yourself the why. Why do I say I want to come in and help? Why do I say I want to come in and and, and uh, be a part of someone's life and journey? Because otherwise, unless you answer that question, the same old cycle of people coming in from the outside, doing stuff, and then leaving. Mm -hmm. Nothing changes. You're not impacting anything. 
you really aren't making an impact. Yes, you may feel good about it. You can go back to your home church or wherever you came from and give a report. During the Thanksgiving holiday and during the Christmas holiday, we gave out such and such a numbers of food and we served such and such a numbers of people and everybody applauds and everything. But, but, in, but in the city, with the people that we are working with and living with and doing life with, did none of that mean anything? Because these people, these people or those people come into the city every year at Thanksgiving and every year at Christmas, but we don't see them no other time of the year. There's 12 months and 52 weeks and 365 days. You came in on two and you're applauding yourselves for coming in on two. <laughs> Perspective. Perspective. So that's why we ask, why do you want to help or be involved in the life of someone who is in crisis? Must answer that question. Question number two or statement number two. Personal experience is good when it comes to ministering to people, but be careful not to project and transfer your life and feelings into the person you are helping or the person that you are attempting to educate. They've seen this one happen an awful lot mm -hmm. where um uh where people try to help others based upon their personal experience mm -hmm. that could be a good starting place sometimes but a lot of times uh what we have observed is people are still working out their own issues while they're working with these people mm -hmm. and they thought that because i know what it's like to be homeless then, then I, can I can help, help the homeless yeah. mm -hmm. i know what it's like to you know, go through different things. There's that word again. Different things. Different issues. <laughs> and so, because I went through it, I'm. I feel that I'm automatically qualified to step in there and try to help it myself. And no, you're not. How many of you know that? You know that. You're, you've been through. You've been through a lot of stuff, but you need to be a healed healer. Your personal experience. And sharing that personal experience is not enough to carry this other person through what they're going through. Amen. We can share our stories. They may be even inspired by it. But the step-by-step -step process that they need to make in changing their life, our personal experience will not carry them through that. It will not carry them through that. It will inspire them. They'll look at you and go, I, I want to... I can, I, yeah, I can be encouraged that yeah. you're that you are no longer in that situation. Yeah. How did you get there? Yeah. And that's where we find the trouble comes when when an unprepared, untrained person starts trying to guide them through. They start trying to guide them through based upon their life. Right. Mm -hmm. But this is a whole completely different person. Right. Different and personality. Different personality. Different way yeah. of even seeing and approaching and living life. Yeah. We uh, I've I've seen uh. This when we were youth pastors, sometimes uh, there were times when we had people who came to work with the youth, to work with the teenagers, because they remember how they were treated when they were a teenager. And so because I was treated so negatively when I was a teenager, I feel that I can now come into the youth ministry and train me and, and help these teenagers because I know how you feel. Mm -hmm. And they start projecting the negative stuff that went through with that they went through with their parents. Right. They project that off on the parents 
of these teenagers. And become a problem. And they would become a problem for us. We did experience that. Mm -hmm. Youth workers who became a problem for us because they assumed that these parents were doing the same thing to these kids that my parents did to me. And they began to speak negatively about the parents to the children. And you don't do that. (laughs) You don't ever, or you start siding with the kids. Because the children, because teenagers are going to do, they're going to always complain about their parents. But it does not help to have a youth worker, a youth volunteer, someone who is supposedly representing the word of God, the wisdom of God, Now you're siding with a 15-year-old against her mother because your mother didn't raise you right. You assume that this child talking about her mother, you you feel like your mother didn't raise you right. (laughs) But in some cases, they didn't. Their mothers were horrible. But you assume that because this 15-year-old is complaining about her mother, that it's the same thing. And that's what we mean by trying to minister somebody based upon your personal experience. You can't do that. It does actually take being prepared. Number three, what worked or connected for you may not work or connect for them. That's another very important one. Uh, We've seen this a lot where uh, a certain scripture, a certain revelation came into your life, and now you want to share that revelation and that scripture with everybody else because it worked for me. God spoke to me through that, and so, of course, so you try it on somebody else, and they just look at you and go, duh. (laughs) And now you're lost. Why are you lost? Because it connected for you, but it doesn't mean it's already automatically going to connect with somebody else. Wow. Hopefully these are helping you today. Uh, Number four, fight and flight lifestyles, and we'll explain what those are produce very different core values. This is an extremely important statement, but I'll begin with letting my wife explain to you what fight and flight lifestyle is. Uh, First of all, fight and flight is a natural response to danger. Um, When uh, you step out onto the street and a car is coming, you will step back to protect your life. Um, That's a natural response. If a dog is chasing you, you are going to run or you're going to pick up something to protect yourself. Those are natural things. That's fight and flight. Um, there are people who live in fight and flight. Um, they've um, come up in an abusive household. Yeah. Um, they have alcoholic parents um, or, or absentee parents. Um, they live in, in, in fight and flight where um, everybody is first perceived as a danger until they are proven otherwise. Um, That's that's living in fight and flight. Everybody's an enemy until they're proven not to be an enemy. So that's fight and flight. That's it. That's it exactly. And so we have to understand that if if you're dealing with somebody who's living in fight and flight, meaning they don't know who to trust, Mm -hmm. they can't trust Right, right. (laughs) right now, Uh, They're constantly either fighting people or they're running from people. Mm -hmm. They're fighting situations or they're running from situations. And so it produces, this is the key, it produces a very different core value. Mm -hmm. Here's the reason why I say that. Core values are the the bottom line things that I believe to be right and wrong. So when somebody is living in constant 
fear or fighting, that's basically fear, either way, whether it's it fight or flight, they're in fear, their core values change. What do I mean? They're going basically now off of whatever it's going to take for me to survive. They're not mm -hmm. thinking in terms of what's right and what's wrong. No. They're very key to understand that. Many, many pastors, I believe, especially in the inner city, need to understand this about the people in the neighborhood of their church. That's a survivalist. Yeah. That's that's a person who is who calls themselves a, a survivor. Yeah. That's a survivor. It doesn't matter what's right or wrong. Only thing that matters is making it through the day mm -hmm. and whatever that takes. So that's why many pastors have spent years fussing at people in their congregation or in their community without understanding these people are in fear. Mm -hmm. They're in fight and flight. And while you're preaching messages about their morality, that's what I mean. See, their core values have changed because they're in survival mode. And while you're preaching about their moral choices, that don't mean anything no. to somebody who's trying to survive. And that's been the major disconnect in inner cities across the country. While you're, I'm not saying they shouldn't preach about morality, but they're not connecting with that. They aren't right. connecting with a morality message while I'm just trying to make it. Mm -hmm. It is a major disconnect that we have in the political realm between mm -hmm. Republicans and Democrats. Mm -hmm. Republicans are preaching mor morals mm -hmm. and Democrats are talking to people about their survival. Yes. Mm -hmm. So why do the Democrats have a greater number of African-American and minorities people ear because you're talking where we're living. Mm -hmm. We're living in survival so that y'all talking about what it's going to take for me to survive. So that's what, that's why I'm going to vote mm -hmm. Democrat mm -hmm. and liberal and progressive because they're talking about surviving. Mm -hmm. Whereas Republicans and conservatives, y'all still talking about morals, doing what's right. And like, I can't talk about what doing was right until I know that I'm I'm going to still be here tomorrow. Wow. Very important. Now, as you can see, I'm not getting into the rightness and wrongness of it because as a ready responder, we're like the people like uh, when the uh, firemen show up and the and the. Uh, you know, the EMT people show up and the police show up. We're not here to decide who shot who and who didn't. No, we're here to just to pick up the pieces of what done happened. You see what had happened was? We're here for that. We will be able to get into the morality of what happened after we get uh, a pulse, <laughs> get somebody breathing again. And by that, I mean we're actually now able to pull somebody out of fight and flight right. and into... Out of the situation where they feel they're in danger. They're in danger. Mm -hmm. Thus, the importance of our house churches. It's a safe place. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm sure you've seen it in, in your meetings. You don't spend a whole lot of time talking about moral issues. You keep having to encourage people in the choices that they're making each day. You're trying to encourage them that you have value, that you have meaning. God's got a greater purpose for your life. And isn't it interesting, the more you keep talking to them about purpose and value and all of that, that they start, it starts creeping into their moral choices. Why? 
Why? Because that means I've got to make right choices in order to see come about this great thing that you're telling me God wants to do with my life. But if you're going to preach to me morality without purpose, for what? Live right for what? That's some of the questions some of us may have asked when we were teenagers. Live right for what? <laughs> live holy. We always heard them, holy, holy, live holy. And that's why young people are sitting there going, for what? Because we didn't, we didn't connect the holiness message with God's purpose and plan for their life. You want to live righteous and holy before the Lord because God wants to be able to use a clean vessel, a sharp vessel, uh, and place his anointing and his approval on that type of vessel so that he can powerfully use you here in the earth. But we didn't connect it to all that. We kept telling him, live holy so that you can make it to heaven. And right. when you tell somebody who's 13 years old, live holy so you can make it to heaven, like, okay, yeah, I want to go to heaven, but in between heaven <laughs> and the day I die, what? And we just tell them, well, you're just here to hold on. So, just hold on, baby. Just if hold on. I don't leave here till I'm, till I'm in my 80s or 90s, you mean to tell me that for the next 75 years, I'm just supposed to just hold on? Hopefully this makes some sense to you today. So now you can see why, especially, you know, I don't even just say young people. All of us have done it at some point in our lives, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. We go, for what? And then somebody comes along who has the true kingdom message and the true kingdom message about the purpose and plan and the will of God here on the earth, what God is doing globally and how you and I fit into that global plan. His kingdom come, his will being done. Then when you connect the message of living right and holiness to how God wants to use you in that plan, oh, okay, I get that. But it all started with getting them out of fight and flight. Get them into a safe environment where they can even begin to hear a word about you have a purpose even though the enemy has been run, wrecking havoc with your life and you are in a place right now where the only thing you can do is run or fight. And you don't even sure, you're not even sure if you should even believe me right now. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it amazing? That's, that's part of our, what God has us doing as ready responders too. He helps us, he's, t he's taught us to create the, an atmosphere so that even beyond our words, We've been creating an atmosphere of safety for people. Just think about those who are attending your meetings right now. And think about the atmosphere that they walk into each week. God helped you. The Holy Spirit helped you to create an atmosphere of safety for them. For even if it's only for just a moment or two, maybe just for the couple of hours that they're there, they're not fighting and they're not running. And believe me. Their, their spirit, don't forget that. Right. They may walk back out the door and have to go deal with life and they go right back into fight and flight mode for the next week. But as they're approaching back around to Sunday, there was one place that I didn't have to be fighting or running. I want to go back and sit in that atmosphere again. I remember we had one woman told us she attended our church for almost 10 years 
And she said for the majority of the time, she didn't hear, she didn't hear a single message. I didn't hear a single message. I didn't. I, I don't remember the praise and worship. I don't remember the songs. I don't remember the messages. All I know is that I, I just like sitting in that atmosphere. Don't remember nothing. But just, but she was there, and she was there every week. Yeah, every week. Mm -hmm. But couldn't remember anything because of the hell of her life. She yes. was an abused wife, getting beat up by her husband regularly. So coming and sitting in this atmosphere of praise and worship, and hearing these words and testimonies, even though, even though her, in her mind, could not retain it, her spirit. See, it was affecting her spirit, mm -hmm. slowly taking her out of fighting and running on the inside. It was almost as if she just came to herself one day. Yeah, yeah. Right. All of a sudden, yeah, you're right. She just kind of came to herself and like, hmm. I, I don't remember any of the messages or anything, but I'm free. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now she's in the season in her life. She's going to another church. But now she can receive the word. Yes. But it took more than 10 years yeah. of just being in a safe environment before, I don't know all the circumstances of how they broke up and all of that and how she got away from him. But right now, she can receive the word. Sometimes she sends texts and stuff to me and Carol yes. to encourage us. <laughs> That's just really funny the way life goes. Number five. Uh, people don't know what they don't know. Very important statement. This will help you as you are uh, as you are dealing with the people uh, in your home group. Sometimes I, I'll put it to you this way: there are many people who are so opinionated about things that they don't know what they think they know. They don't know, but they don't know. And also, don't they have an opinion, but an it opinion. is not an informed it's opinion. An informed opinion. It's not based on any experience. It's just their opinion. Yeah. Uh, and people, and here's another one. Sometimes we get frustrated. I, I remember as we were dealing with, uh, and I know you relate to this, sometimes women in the shelter who came in and they discovered that they know how to clean a house. Mm -hmm. They know how to wash dishes. Cook. And they know how to cook. And you'd be like, how can you be 20-something years old and you don't know how to cook? Because they ain't had no mama to tell them, to show them. Mm -hmm. They had mamas to maybe told them, but telling people what to do is not the same thing as teaching somebody no, how to do it. And there have been tons of people. They're in their 20s and 30s and 40s, and they have been told to clean a house. They've been fussed and screamed at, but they've never been taught how to actually clean a house. I remember my mom actually teaching us. And that's where you got somebody who gets down on their hands and knees with you and says, no, go all in, go behind the toilet. Oh, man. <laughs> I remember saying stuff to my mom. Ain't nobody going to look behind there. That was the word. Don't never say, ain't nobody going to look behind there to a cleaner. Right. They don't. No, that, no. There's to them, you that now alerts them to, I need to now go and check behind everything, everything that you've done. ever done. <laughs> and ever will do. <laughs> <laughs> Never say nobody's going to look there to a cleaner. <laughs> oh, 
But not many people I've learned have been taught. That's true. They've been told. They've been told, but they haven't been taught. Even when they're when, when they've been told, be sure to clean behind such and such. That's not the same thing as actually taking their little hand, yeah. their little eight, nine, or ten year old hand, and putting it behind there, and they're going. See, because that's different from telling them to. From actually grabbing their hand and guiding their hand with the cloth behind that nasty refrigerator. Because then they're making faces and yeah, this is how to clean behind and underneath stuff. Not many people have actually been told. Now that's just cleaning. Now just think about so many other areas of their lives where people have been told. This is the issue with a lot of men. I won't say most men, but I would say with a lot of men. We've been fussed at and yelled and screamed at by our father, uncle, but not really taught. That's why he had no idea how to treat a woman. No idea. No idea. No appreciation for a female. They've been told stuff, but not really taught. And most teaching, which I learned from my own sons, they said, uh, remember that time we asked them questions. You asked them, what did your dad teach you about girls? And David, I believe it was David, he said, it wasn't so much what, da what dad told us, it was what he showed us. Mm -hmm. It was how he treated mom. Right. So we learned how to treat women based upon how dad treated mom. Chris said, it wasn't like dad sat down with us and said, this is how to treat a woman. We just watch. So just think about how many men have been shown or what men have been shown and what they've never really been properly taught. So I, we, we bring all of that up just to say people don't know what they don't know. So that way we as, as responders have this understanding that when you see people behaving a certain way or saying certain things, they don't know what they don't know. So you can't be upset with them for what they don't right. know. Right. We're looking at the age that they are. How can you be 35 years old and you still don't know how to? Because they don't know what they don't know. And uh, it, it can be very frustrating because we're, we're thinking such things as, I don't know how in the world you could have lived this long and you can't clean a house. You can't wash dishes. But it's really true. It's real. Really true. It's really true. Uh, especially in this day and time that we live in. Uh, a fast food, you know, you got many kids that have been raised on fast food and paper plates, paper cups, paper towels. They don't even know about how to stack a dishwasher because they haven't had it. Um, we got kids that can't tie shoelaces because they've never had shoes that they needed to tie. That they needed to tie. We have kids that can't write cursive because we have a generation now that has been raised on computers. I remember when I worked for the Department of Education, and that's when I discovered that cursive has been eliminated from many school districts across the country. Wow. It's not even taught anymore. 
Yeah. So when we say people don't know what they don't know, we mean it. It's like for real. They don't know what they don't know. And it's hard to get accustomed to this change um, that has happened in our world. Yes. And that way we aren't hung up on, that's my really my main point, mm -hmm. that we aren't hung up on what a person doesn't know. Yes. Just accept it. Right. Okay. Maybe somebody wasn't there to teach them. Right. And here's the other part. And maybe some of them was somebody that was there to teach them, and they just rejected it. Right. And even then, it's to their detriment. So don't and need to be mad at them. Right. Like, that was to your detriment. You had a mama, a grandmother, aunts, uncles who tried. And you may have been, that may have been the rebellious one who, even with all of the efforts, <laughs> this person just made up their mind, I don't want to know. I've come across uh, young people who had great aspirations for entertainment. I'm going to be the greatest entertainer. I'm going to be the greatest singer. I'm going to be the greatest uh, athlete. And I don't need to know all that stuff because somebody, I'm going to have people that's going to do all that for me. So when they dream fell through in their 20s, they hadn't learned how to do nothing because they put all their energy and effort into what they thought they was going to be. And I'm not exaggerating. We know people personally yes. that that is their situation. There are things that they do not know how to do because they thought that they was going to be this superstar and they would just hire people. And so when everything fell, then they had to go back and get their GED because they put all their hopes and dreams and all this stuff that they thought and they wouldn't listen to anybody. When they told them, you got to have a fallback plan. I don't right. need no fallback plan. I'm going to do this. They thought, because everybody said, I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. <laughs> I think about it every night and day. Spread my wings and <laughs> And it did not happen. And that leaves us ready responders and getting you prepared. You'll be there. Right. And somebody's crash or after someone's crash. Yes. Some of you, that is what you're dealing with in your families. With siblings, with nieces, nephews. Uh, the dream didn't come through. So there's a whole lot of stuff that they don't know. And it is frustrating, especially for those of you who know of people who they should know mm -hmm. but they didn't take advantage of the opportunity to get to know it's very frustrating to deal with them but that's part of our calling number six be careful with making assumptions about behavior because yes. we don't always know why people do what they do yes. this is something that since many of us have been on the other side of this we get this yes. we really get this yes. how people have misjudged our behavior because yes. they don't know where it was coming from that's why I know, for instance, me, when there are little children who are afraid of me, first meeting me and they back off, I don't, I don't try to force that child to hug me anyway. I hate it when I see people do that. I hate it when I see parents do that, when they force their child to hug people, hug strangers. Oh, hug the pastor. No, don't, don't make this child. Because I could be looking like somebody that scared this child. And I'm not going to violate the conscience of a, of a little child who they're looking at me and Pastor Chris looks like Uncle so-and-so or Grandpa so-and-so and I don't like Grandpa so-and-so. Might not even be no negative, bad reason why. They just simply scared of that face. <laughs> don't make them. 
In other words, I don't know what's behind that behavior. I'm not going to force them. So, so, so many of us, we get this because we've been on the other side of people misjudging our behavior. And I'll put this in the ministry context because that's where I see it. I've seen it a lot. Everybody get on your feet. Everybody praise God. Must be something wrong with you if you don't. Ain't you got to praise him? Look, it was all I could do. <laughs> Just to come to church today. Just to get here. And yes, I know I'm supposed to make a sacrifice. I know I'm supposed to give the Lord praise in spite of how I feel. But give me my time and moment and space that I need to get to that point. It may not be here at the beginning of the service. I feel God's presence saying this right now. But somewhere in the midst of this service, I don't need nobody to tell me and make me do this. Somebody's testimony may bring me there. The song may bring me there. But here we are. We just, just feeling the presence of God. Just feeling God's presence. Everybody walking in, us gathering together. But you standing up here at the beginning of the service saying, get on your feet and give God praise and make me do it. No. And because I'm not lifting my hands does not mean I don't love God. Right. It don't mean I'm in sin. Right. It just means give me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> give me a minute. That's all it means. Give me a minute. Because you don't know what it took for me to get here today. So while I'm sitting here in the Lord's presence Within the fellowship of the other saints and believers, some of whose stories I do know what they're going through, I might look across the room and see brother so-and-so got his hands up, and I know that man ain't, ain't had a job in three months. Seeing him do that just provoked me to go, okay, I need to raise, I need my, to hand. raise my hand and give God praise, yeah. but I didn't need nobody to force me that. That was the Holy Spirit working and moving right, right. in my life. Wow, thank you, Lord God. Come on, bless the Lord. So be careful, and I can't stand it when I see that's done, whether it's by a worship leader or by a pastor, whoever, when you make assumptions about people's behavior, you don't know the reason why. You do not know. So every person sitting with their hands folded or, or, uh, or whatever their posture may be, may not be something even negative at all. Amen. I have one brother in our church, this man is still faithful. He didn't even come forward to give his heart to the Lord. You know how you do an altar call at the end? This brother never even came forward. When they prayed to send us prayer, he sat there in his seat and wherever he was sitting in the church that day and committed his life to the Lord. And this man to this day, is like the most faithful brother you ever see in your life. But he gave no outward expression that said that's what he was doing. And that brings us to the other side of it. Because we done all seen the people that have had all of the right behavior. Outward. Outwardly. But ain't nothing changed in here. <laughs> so I am no longer moved by all the snot and tears and everything up front and rolling in the floor and all that. When you get through... Or we're going to see a lifestyle change after we get through with all of this. So that's the other side of being careful about making assumptions about behavior. Because even sometimes... <laughs> <laughs> 
Because we're going to make some assumptions even about the what we think are the positive responses. Oh, I just learned a lot. All this hollering and theatrics, and they walk out and don't nothing change. Nothing change. So it's really helping us to not be moved by what we see on the outside, both positively and what we see negative behavior. There's a lot of what we think of as being negative behavior. Sometimes it's people's crying out for help. Or it could be like the sister I mentioned before. She's just not in a place where they can receive this yet. But I'm just. But aren't we just thankful that they're there? I'm still waiting for somebody to just to stand up and say, I'm just so glad to see everybody here today. I don't know what it took for you to come to church today, but I'm just glad that you were here. I'm not going to make you turn around and shake your neighbor's hand. I'm not going to make you repeat anything I say. Just let me say to you, we're glad that you are here. Now, we're going to sing some songs of worship. And if you would like to participate and join in with us, you are welcome to. If you don't do it the way I do, I won't be offended, hurt, or feel some type of way if you don't, <laughs> if you don't express your love to God the same way I do. You just go ahead and bless the Lord. If you want to be quiet, if you want to get on your knees, if you just want to just stand there and rock back and forth, that is fine. <laughs> but at the same time, those of y'all that want to run up and down the aisles, go right ahead. <laughs> if you want to roll, just go ahead. We're going to just bless the Lord today. But I, as the leader, am not going to dictate to y'all how you should praise God today. Bless the Lord. I guess I should be a worship leader now. (laughs) Open up a service. (laughs) Bless the Lord. Obviously, we won't make make it through all 20 of these tonight. <laughs> uh, and I'll do one more, and then we'll stop for tonight. Watch those value judgments. Watch those value judgments that you can make about people. Always be respectful. No condescension. And again, as we're working with people, ministering to them in our homes or in your workplace or just even in casual conversation, Watch those value judgments. It's very easy to uh, start, and I call them value judgments because some of the ways or the statements that people can make, we feel this intense responsibility as believers sometimes and as Christians sometimes to straighten people out and to correct them for what they said. But just, what's the, what's the time out? Time out. Just let it go. We don't have to, and this is very key, uh, you don't have to respond to everything that a person says and does. Or Or even if you want to respond, first of all, Make sure that they're coming from the place you thought they that were coming from. Were... Ask them why ask, they ask. said that. Ask first. Ask. So that you're not, so that you, you are not assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Ask. Ask. That's what we mean by always be respectful. Yeah. Ask. In fact, that's one of our, some you oh, probably remember, you remember part of our five ways to connect with people. Yes. You know, pray, and then uh, what was the rest? Engage and ask. Number three on the list was ask. ask. Then number four, listen. Actually, listen. Don't just ask and then give them an answer. 
actually listen. Right. And listening does not mean waiting, waiting till they for them stop, to shut up. waiting for them to shut up, <laughs> they stop talking for you to say what you want to say. Listening means to actually engage in what they're saying. What are they saying? What, yeah. do, what do those words mean? Yeah. And if you don't understand, ask, ask again. Ask. Keep asking. Rather than assuming, this has gotten so many responders in trouble by making assumptions and making value judgments about people. Uh, we live in such a complicated, complex society right now that there are certain words that people say that trigger, that trigger us, but they don't mean anything. It, it don't mean the same thing to them as what those words mean to us. I'll share this wonderful story from our son's, uh, our David and Michelle's uh, wedding rehearsal. Uh, this is a wonderful story. At the end of the rehearsal, uh, God understand, those of you who don't know, my son is black. Our daughter-in-law, daughter-in-love, she's white. Our son is American, she's Canadian. But in their generation, they're in their 20s, uh, uh, and they've gone, they were at school together four years. They have the same set of friends, which are mixed, black, white, Latino, folks from all over the world. Mm -hmm. That's their mix of friends, and it's also their generation. So there are things that, that this generation is not hung up about that ours is. Still. One of them being the cultural differences mm -hmm. between dark-skinned people and light-skinned, white-skinned people. So at the end of the rehearsal, my daughter and future daughter-in-law turns to all of her bridesmaids, who most of them were black, mm -hmm. and all of the groomsmen, most of which were black, mm -hmm. and says, tomorrow I want my wedding to start on time. Mm -hmm. We're not doing CP time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, all of my generation went, what? <gasps> what did this white girl just say? <laughs> All of their generation, cool. Yeah, you're right. What thing? You're laughed. right, Michelle. They laughed and laughed and it on, off. Went on about said, the yeah, you're right, because we will walk up in here late. You are right. <laughs> Our generation totally hung up. So that's what we mean about watch those value judgments and making assumptions because a lot of times where people are coming from is nowhere near where we are. Let me say that again. Where people are coming from is nowhere near where we presently are. That was vastly different generations. See, we come from a generation where better not nobody white ever say nothing like that to no black folks. But for their generation, no big deal. And there was two different responses in that room instantly sure. in that moment. They had relationship with one another. Mm -hmm. They had the relationship where they could 
where they could go there. They yeah. they knew immediately she meant there nothing. was no yes. right. There was no offense meant by it. Yeah, there was no bias. There was no. In, there was nothing racial meant in it at all. No. This is this me. Was experience. This was me. This is my experience. My with experience you. with y'all over these past four years. <laughs> and I know you. <laughs> And we oh, know ourselves, and that's why all Let's the kids. Real. That's why all the kids. I call them kids, but the, the all the young young adults they they laughed it off like, "Yeah, you right," because that is us. <laughs> and so I, that's why that's so important. That even when, uh, since the majority of us right now are black, there are many times we will hear words coming from white and Latino and Asian people in this community and they may sit in their meetings they may sit in our services and in our gatherings and they will say things that if we don't understand this principle that people are not coming from where we are then we'll become the point of offense and we're the leader we're the one offended and so it's very important for us as ready responders to really grab a hold of this, to understand, you know, be careful about making assumptions about behavior, and, uh, and please watch those value judgments. Always be respectful. Always be respectful. And that's kind of what will help us to stay there. Always be respectful. Even when you don't have a clue as to where they're coming from, at least be respectful. Uh, and, in, is, and in that moment, give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. You can always, you can always ask. ask, Lord, now, what what went on just then? You can always, because <laughs> you know, he's real, he's real, he's honest about what happened. And if yeah. you need to handle business later, yeah. handle business. But in that moment, give them the benefit of give the doubt. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, no condescension, no, no, no condescension or anything like. I, I know you didn't mean that the way that came out. See, that's that's con yeah. that's being condescending. You know, mm -hmm. so, and I and I believe that this will also help us because I don't, I really don't want to repeat a lot of the mistakes that I've seen among pastors, ministers, leaders, whether it's politics or in education of various fields that I've served in, business people, owners of companies. Uh, who have done this to their people, to their staff, to their leaders, uh, uh, to their contributors, to their donors, to their stockholders. They, you, know, you start making these assumptions and you don't know necessarily know where people are coming from. And when you're the leader and you do that, you create, you create a ripple that goes throughout your entire organization. Mm -hmm. and you create a, a culture of condescension. You create it, yeah. And that's why a lot of times our workplaces were like that. Whether you work for the state or at a hospital or business, believe me, the, the leaders, whoever's the head, they created that atmosphere that you walked into. They absolutely did. Rather the ones who did it by condescension, the ones who did it by being disrespectful. And, the, and here's even the one that's really, I hate this one. This is the ultimate in condescension to me where you just pretend like nothing's going on. Oh, that yeah. so annoys me. Oh my goodness. You just don't even address it at all. As if though it doesn't even really matter. I hate that one. And so I want us to be equipped so that when we encounter situations that we don't know what to do, that we at least uh, back up. If we may not know what to do in the moment, mm -hmm. 
but don't let it go for days and right. weeks and then months. Don't boil because that thing is simmer without, without ever addressing yeah. it. Yeah. And, and again, and we don't have to do it. What like what we've experienced? We don't have to do it from the pulpit. Right. From the podium, you go to the person. What does the Bible say about you know, handle, how to handle yeah. offense? Yeah. Come on. You go to the person, brother so and so, sister so and so. When you said that. Uh, I'm not quite sure where you were coming from and what you meant by that. I'm please, not accusing please, you of right. anything. But I need you to explain. I need you to help me to understand. I need you to help me understand what you meant, what by, you that. meant by that. And, uh, and that's just a great place to start. I, maybe it's me. And I've done that. And they said, well, maybe sure. it's me. Maybe yes, I just sure took have. it wrong. So I need you to help me to understand. And, and if they, here's what comes up. If they really meant nothing, You'll get, they're, they're, you'll get it. You'll but get an they, explanation. But if, you, if they really meant something, then they'll get defensive. Yeah. <laughs> you know something was there. You know something was really there, and it wasn't just you. It wasn't just you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was what I thought it was. <laughs> it was. But again. You're establishing a precedence, a precedence yes. of how we're going to handle, handle it. I'm going to handle it. Handle our relationship. We're going to handle things. When you're dealing with me. Closed doors, and I will be straight up, but I'm not going to make this a public thing right. where it becomes gets an opportunity to divide the whole business right. or the whole church or the whole school or whatever it is, because that's what we've all walked into. Yes. And you come into places where that culture has been like that for years. Then you walk in there with your honest want to get everything on the table, let's have everything straighten self, and you start asking questions. Oh, Lord. Oh, my God. Uh. And then you're wondering why you always in quicksand. <laughs> why people always have an attitude towards you. Yeah. Because they laid that, they, they, made, they made that atmosphere years. Yeah. Yeah, and so everybody else that operates in it, they just all know, like we've had in all of our churches. Yeah. Well, we just all know. We're going to sidestep that pothole. We're going to sidestep that when, mud. Yeah, when pastor starts to talk about something over the pulpit, then somebody then got on the pastor's oh, nerve. Oh, Lord. Week. We just all know. We all know. When so-and-so gets up and starts to do her testimony and she talks about the devil's really on my track, then we all know. <laughs> That's side language for Deacon so-and-so messing up this week with his wife. Because it's all got to be public with us. It's all got to be public. We can't keep it behind. It's all got to be public. <laughs> and we are not going to repeat that. Just say that. We are not going to repeat it. We are not going to repeat that. And we're going to, we're really, because the next generation that's watching us, yes. yeah. we, we got to show them this is the right way. Right. This is how you handle it. If you got a problem with me, come and tell me. Yeah. You ain't got to have a session throughout the whole church <laughs> and all that. If you got an issue with me, come to me. Yeah. And I promise I'm not going to. I know, I know preachers have told you that before. They've said, come to me. But then when you came to them, they preached about it across the pulpit. So we now have to have the presence of mind to say, come to me, and I promise you, nobody else is going to hear about it. I'm not going to preach our conversation across the pulpit. Thank you, Lord. Come on, bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord.
Thank, Thank you, Lord. Lord. Bless the Lord.